0: Welcome to Healing Your Families. I'm Lou Penrod and I help you as a parent go from frustration, stress and overwhelm to calm, confidence and joy so that you can achieve the quality of family life that you desire. You know, there are so many benefits to family life. A, family provides our basic needs. That's where we get food, shelter, that sense of community, emotional support. It's also the place where that is most effective for caring for individuals who can't care for themselves, like very young and the elderly and people with disabilities. There are many powerful examples of families who have made a huge difference, been absolutely instrumental in allowing someone who had severe challenges to still continue and lead a productive and successful life. Some examples that come to mind are Helen Keller, who was born in a, as a normal child, but by before she was two years old, due to a high fever, she lost her her sight and her hearing. And this was back in the 1800s, not not much was known about how to care for someone with those challenges. But her mother persisted and kept searching for just the right teacher for Helen to help her daughter be able to communicate with the rest of the world and found Ann Sullivan and where Helen Keller did amazing things, traveled, wrote books, and gave many public addresses on overcoming challenges. Temple Grandin was born at a time when very little was known about autism. In fact, the medical theory at that time was that it was the result of cold and different mothers, and Temple's mother suffered some blame and criticism by doctors but she persisted and she actively searched for the right educational setting for her daughter and helped vigorously taught her daughter how to interact with other people so that Temple Grandin could go on to become a very successful college professor and pioneer in animal husbandry. Nick Vuvichik was born without arms and legs. And his parents were rather horrified at first and didn't quite know how to care for him. But they persisted. They taught him to believe in himself. And now he's an internationally recognized motivational speaker. So we see these, the power of family, the beautiful part, the beautiful side of family. There is also a darker side of family that needs to be dispelled with light. Darkness can only exist in the absence of light, but when we can shine that light of awareness on a dark topic, it can help to to prevent it, to heal it. And this is what this is the first of a series on confronting abuse. And abuse is that darker side of family life that needs the the healing light, that light of awareness so we can understand what it is, how to protect our families and how to help them heal. So I wanna start out by zooming out to take a global view and talk about something that affects families because family members are involved and that's human trafficking. And I'm relying on a definition offered, provided by Operation Underground Railroad. This is a nonprofit that was established by Tim Ballard. And Tim Ballard was a CIA agent. He was involved in rescuing children who had been adopted, kidnapped from the United States and taken to foreign countries and were part of the human trafficking problem. But when he found that there were certain areas that his agency did not address, and he saw that there were children suffering that he was not allowed to help, he turned in his badge and he started this organization. I look it up on the internet, Operation Underground Railroad, the acronym is Our, and he has a lot of valuable information on this global problem and how, how we can help, what we can do to help. So his definition of human trafficking is a form of modern-day slavery in which traffickers use force fraud, or coercion to control victims for the purpose of engaging in commercial sex acts or labor services against their will. Human trafficking affects every community in the United States and across the globe and includes all ages, genders, ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds. Now, according to the International Labor Organization, this illegal industry generates annual profits of 150 billion U.S. dollars. Now, this estimate was given in 2014, so it's likely higher than that now. But according to a report published in the the Department of State, 2021 Trafficking in Persons Report, and it, it was addressing in this section, it's talking about human trafficking in the context of the global pandemic. We know that this is a global issue around the world we're all facing or have been facing, and this is the impact it had on the human trafficking which had already been going on so they gave provided some examples in India and Nepal young girls from poor and rural areas were often expected to leave school to help support their families so they had to walk away from their education some were forced into marriage in exchange for money while others were forced to work to supplement lost income. There are reports from the United States, the United Kingdom and Uruguay that landlords forced their tenants, often women, to have sex with them when they were unable to pay their rent. During lockdown, traffickers in the Amazon in Brazil changed their patterns by sending child sex trafficking victims to the perpetrators private quarters, or specific specified locations instead of the usual places where children were sold to perpetrators. So the lockdown may have shut down other businesses. This industry was alive and thriving. In Haiti, Niger, and Mali, gangs operating the Internally Displaced Persons Camps. Now these are camps that are set up for survivors of natural disasters or refugees. But gangs operating these camps took advantage of reduced security and limited protection to force residents at the camp to perform commercial sex acts. In Burma, families experience drastic declines in their household incomes. So 94% of households surveyed reported a a reduction in income. 81% reported at least one family member losing a job. 69% reporting they had to take out loans making these families vulnerable to trafficking. That's one of the ways that control is gained when someone has a debt that's greater than they can repay. They may feel coerced to sell family members or themselves. So while the number of individuals at risk in trafficking grew during the pandemic, so did the conditions under which traffickers thrive. The traffickers capitalized on the reduced capacity and shifting priorities of law enforcement. And that resulted in greater anonymity and impunity to pursue these crimes. Disruptions to public justice systems and diversion of resources from anti-trafficking efforts during the pandemic increased impunity for traffickers. It lowered their odds of their arrest. It made it easier for them to hide. Since this is a hap- going on in communities all over in every socioeconomic group, it is good to be aware of what to look for. In some cases, especially among teenagers, because drugs and alcohol are used to gain submission, the victim could actually be living at their home and their family may not even realize the full extent of what is going on in their life in the area of work and living conditions some red flags to be aware of is an indi- when an individual is not free to come and go as they wish anyone under 18 who is providing commercial sex acts is a victim remember the human brain isn't fully developed until we're under twenties, so minors are really not able to make decisions such as this. If they're anyone who has a pimp or a manager, um, if they're unpaid or paid very little, or only paid through tips, if this could be a forced labor, not necessarily commercial sex, but maybe they've they're being forced to work long hours with little compensation. If they're not allowed breaks or they suffer under unusual restrictions at work, owing a large debt and unable to pay it off. Some are recruited through false promises concerning the nature and conditions of the work. Some women come from other countries expecting that they'll be getting a job as a maid or a waitress only to find out that that isn't the nature of the job at all. In some cases, their passports are taken from them. Their money is managed. They are greatly restricted in what they're able to do. If there are high security measures at the work or living locations, like opaque windows, bars over the windows, barbed wire security cameras, all red flags, and If you interact with them, you may notice that they're always fearful, anxious, depressed. They're very submissive, tense. They avoid eye contact. They exhibit unusually, they're unusually fearful or anxious. If anyone, the topic of law enforcement is brought up, they lack health care. They may appear malnourished or show signs of physical or sexual abuse, physical restraint, confinement, or or even torture. They have very little personal possessions. They're not in control of their money. They don't have a bank account. They're not in, they again, don't have their ID, their documentation. They're not allowed to speak for themselves. Um, In some situations, someone would observe a well-dressed man traveling with a much younger girl dressed rather scruffily. And if they tried to talk to the girl, the man would answer. And in cases like that, they did absolutely the right thing. Remembering that this is an industry, an illegal industry generating hundreds of billions of dollars, it would be a serious mistake to confront anyone directly. The wisest course of action is to report it to the authorities, providing as much detail as you possibly can. The location, how they were dressed, as much detail as possible. And then in other instances, they, you may encounter someone who can't really tell you where they're living. They may say, oh, I'm just visiting. They may not even be aware of exactly where they are what city they're in, and they may have several inconsistencies in their story. And again, remember these are terrified victims who need assistance. Be aware of these. Look out, this is somebody's family member who is being used in a very inhumane way. Now, zeroing down closer to families. Within the family, always the family needs to be protected and safeguarded from any form of abuse and I want to talk about two main forms. The first is overt. This is physical abuse. This is when we can see the bruises, the scars, the wounds. This could be physical abuse or sexual abuse and Or elder abuse and a lot sometimes it's the family dynamic if the family structure is set up that the breadwinner is valued as the most important member of the family and everyone needs to adapt to their needs. This can be a problem in to prevent this situation, you know, kindness, consideration, respect needs to be extended to all family members no matter what their role in the family is. But if it's a very authoritarian household and everyone kowtows to the breadwinner, it's a setting for uh, overt abuse or covert, the other type of abuse. Overt abuse is abuse to the body physically and covert abuse encompasses all the forms of non-physical violence that assault the mind and emotions of another. So many regard covert abuse as the most insidious form of abuse because it's unseen and unmeasured and it's not easily stopped and the influence can easily be downplayed. They may feel, well, they just get yelled at. At least they don't least they haven't been beat up or bruised, but covert maltreatment can damage and handicap someone emotionally, behaviorally, and psychologically. The effects of covert abuse are incremental. They build up over time. Severe emotional disorders in adults can often be traced to distorted parenting practices and cruelty experienced During childhood, whether it's intended or not intended or unintended, abusive episodes can leave lasting scars on those we care about. I just want to list some of the different forms of covert abuse. The first is verbal, and that includes using words and a tone of voice calculated to hurt, punish, intimidate, or control others. It can range from rudeness and vulgarity to threats of physical violence, intimidation. Emotional abuse includes using behavior patterns and other nonverbal methods to harm, downgrade, belittle or reject another person. It's persistent abusive attitudes and acts may be detrimental to the development of self-esteem, self-confidence, and a positive emotional identity. In many cases, the victim may not recognize this is what is happening. It may be this is just the way life is, especially when they're very young. But the result is that they may not fully develop their human potential. They may get stuck at a level that doesn't permit them to trust others, to resolve anger, or to achieve mature empowerment. They may feel stuck in that helpless mode. It really stunts their growth. Emotional deprivation and neglect are acts of omission in which parents do not provide children experiences that promote emotional stability. And or a sense of protection or feelings of being loved, wanted, secure, and of worth. And this can range from simply ignoring a child or partner to spitefully withholding love and attention. Psychological abuse is quite often confused with emotional or they're, they're just put together, but the distinction with psychological abuse. Is that it's technically broader and it usually involves a systematic and persistent effort to destroy not only self esteem and confidence and a sense of worth. But also render a person powerless to care for or protect themselves it's intentional, the intent is to make this person helpless it doesn't allow autonomy. And the treatment can range from not allowing other people to carry out their desires to actual brainwashing and psychological torture. Amnesty International's definition of psychological torture includes verbal degradation, denial of power, isolation, monopolizing perceptions, occasional indulgences, threats to kill induced debility and the administration of drugs or alcohol. As with human trafficking, quite often drugs and alcohol are used to to initiate this complete power and control over another person. Spiritual abuse is any treatment that interferes with someone's connection to their higher power. It deprives them of the ability to understand and rejoice in knowing who they are as a divine spirit entity. Now, all of these different forms of abuse we've already talked about, all have an aspect of spiritual abuse in them and that they're all an affront to the spirit of the person being abused. A person's spirit will recoil from any sort of mistreatment whether it's physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, or whether it's open or hidden. And such mistreatment may cause a person to wonder whether they really are a potentially divine individual. And that is so tragic because we are all potentially divine individuals. And having that connection with the higher power Whatever you choose to call it, I, I call it God, knowing that you have that infinite worth, that divine potential, is essential to life as a human being. So, young children are especially vulnerable to this, if they are repeatedly treated like an object something to be used by the adults in their life. They buy into it. They begin to believe it. And they don't see themselves as even being human. They don't feel like a person. They feel like a non-entity. They don't feel that they are worthy and deserving. They they lose their humanity. And there are two special situations in spiritual abuse that Aren't, haven't been previously addressed in the other forms. And the first is when there is, there is an evil or sin is imputed to actions that really aren't wrong. The person is made to feel ashamed or guilty when they really haven't done anything wrong. And quite often this is used as a means of control They're shamed into believing if you don't do this. This has been observed in some cults where they're told, if you don't submit to the order of this cult, you're damned to go to hell. You have no hope in this life. And the other is when someone in that position of authority, a parent or a church leader, uses that authority to exert control and power. And it's used for the intent of having power over that individual. And, and these are just some general guidelines. The key is understanding intent. For example, are we yelling at our children to save them from a life-threatening situation, like warning because they're running out into the street or the house is on fire? Or are we yelling at them to gain control over them, to get them to do what we want them to do? Well, and because we know ourselves better than others and what our intentions are, we're in a strong position to identify and change our own abusive behaviors. Take a look at ourselves and consider, are we exhibiting any abusive behaviors? And however, Sometimes we're unaware of the effect that our words and actions have on others. And this is where this ongoing communication in families is so important. This having that close relate, being able to have, put your ego to the side and listen as your spouse explains how your words how they resonate with them, how how they're heard, providing that safe place for children so that they can share how they feel and what maybe there was something, maybe we thought it was an innocent joke and it was actually hurtful for them and accepting and listening because we care about them. This is an ongoing communication that always needs to be held. When we witness abusive situations in other families, maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, an, ex- an extended family member, we can provide that listening ear. Quite often we're dealing with a stressed out adult who needs some support and we can lovingly provide that support. Not that we're condoning the abuse, we're helping this parent heal so they can become a better parent. As we develop this rapport and gain their trust, we're sharing, here are some things you might consider. Here is a resource for ways you might improve your parenting style. Here are some suggestions to help you strengthen your family. We can do much as we shine this light of awareness on this darker side of families, the abuse, to prevent it, to protect our families. And, and just being aware of it, one woman had been verbally abused by her husband for years any time he started yelling she would immediately feel intimidated and just What can I do? What can I do? How can I help him stop being mad at me? And she finally developed that self-esteem to remain calm Just she just looked him straight in the eye called him by name and said you're shouting at me and He immediately stopped. He just she just brought it to his attention He walked on past her muttering to himself, but he stopped. Just taking that step made a huge difference in her relationship. Just stating what it is in a calm voice can make a huge difference. So go to my website, healingyourfamilies.com. I have many resources for parents and check out the services I offer. There is one that will help if you're, you're worried about your child having these negative thought patterns. A simple process you can use to help them become healthier, happier, and more resilient. Thank you for joining. And be join us again next week at the same time when we'll be talking about the impact of abuse on families and how you can protect your children In your family. Later on throughout the month, we'll be learning about bullying, we'll be talking about healing. You may not have any control over what was done to you as a child, but now as an adult you can seek healing and you can provide healing for your children. We'll be talking about that. So come back next week until then, love yourself and love your family. We're making the world a better place by strengthening families. This is Emily Penrod with healingyourfamilies.com.